1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: The tethered mantis saddle and predator platform is the ultimate setup for mobile hunting, so much so that I've actually adopted taking it along with me on my scouting trip so I can go ahead and prep any trees that I see or if I see sign that I like and I find a good pinch point or whatever the case might be that I'll actually climb that tree right then and there and kind of prep that tree and it's not hard to do with how light and mobile their system is so if you're looking for an elevated hunting system that is light mobile customizable with model attachment systems and above all else is extremely safe then you need to check out the Tethered Mantis Saddle and Predator platform. I took the plunge, of course, last year and have been using the Mantis Saddle and the Predator platform ever since and haven't looked back. If you think being more mobile or lighter will help you in the deer woods, then go to tetherednation.com. That's T-E-T-H-R-D-N-A-T-I-O-N.com to learn more about all their products today. Velvet Fest is here and brought to us by our friends at Exodus Trail Camera. And right now, since, July, uh, since June 12th, uh, they've been running the 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 Velvet Fest uh, campaign that they do every year, and it's really their kickoff to deer season. And all this entire month long, they've been giving away some killer prizes for anyone who uses the hashtag Velvet Fest on social media to show what they're what they're doing. Uh, in, in the Whitetail Woods, so no matter if it's you know camera hanging, food plots, shooting your boat, whatever the case is, it's all it's all included in Velvet Fest. So if you're in the market for a trail camera. Velvet Fest is probably the perfect opportunity for you to get ready for the season. Every single camera that you order or that is ordered comes with a gift ranging from Wicked Tree Gear hand saws, Skull Brew Coffee, Deer Aging Kit, or additional Exodus merch. Also, every single camera ordered comes with a random prize card that you'll have to scratch off to reveal the prize. It's kind of like a lotto ticket or a lotto scratch off. I've been told, and I know for a fact, that they have some pretty killer deals, so you won't want to miss out on this. Uh, Each week, they have a special offer along with a grand prize. So just as a teaser, you know, they've they've launched or they've delivered a couple of these grand prizes now at this point. So I believe this is the last week. So what we have going on for week three and week four is a tethered package in week three. And in week four will be the Exodus render package. And if you don't know what the render is, that is their cell camera. So you automatically be entered with any purchase on the website for the grand prize uh, that is uh, that is correlated to the to the week within the uh, campaign that we're in. There's a lot to this campaign, so you want to just head over to their website, which is Exodus Outdoor gear or exodusoutdoorgear.com and make sure you're on their newsletter because they'll be doing a lot of communication through their newsletter of, of winners and the, the the various rules and details for this uh, for this campaign. If you're not familiar with Exodus, I, I find it hard-pressed to, to think that you wouldn't be familiar with them since they've been a, a good friend of mine for a long time. But over the last four years, they've consistently built Uh, high-quality trail cameras that flat-out work, and, of course, the best trail camera warranty in the the world, period. Every single camera is backed by a five-year warranty and even comes with a theft damage coverage. You heard that right. Five years, literally half a decade, you'll be covered by the Exodus five-year warranty. But more than likely you won't need to use it because their cameras are built to last. So be sure to take part in the Velvet Fest celebration and tag yourself or tag Exodus rather in any of your social posts and also use the hashtag Velvet Fest because the fellows over at Exodus don't want to see what you're up to. So check them out at exodusoutdoorgear.com. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Truth From Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 127. Today I'm joined by Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Game Commission, Brian Burhans. So stay tuned. <laughs> All right, all right. What is going on, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you out there. Hope you are having a good week. It's a short week, hopefully, for everybody with the uh, 4th of July weekend coming up, so I'm looking forward to that. A few less days of work this week, and then, of course, I leave for family vacation, which I'm pretty stoked about. We're actually headed to uh, Maine, going to do a little Portland, Maine, going to take in the sights and sounds there, Uh, and then, of course, going to head up to Acadia Forest as well, a little cabin retreat, a little horseback riding. Uh, so we're going to do a little bit of a little bit of city, a little bit of country on this on this trip. So looking forward to the uh, to to the getaway. It's it's a uh, it's much needed. But before we uh, take off for vacation, I've uh, I I did finally get a little bit more deer work in this past weekend. Um, finally put out a handful of new cams. I think I mentioned uh, there was a there was a piece that was relatively close to my house that I wanted to take a look at that. Uh, I thought it might have some potential. So I went and checked out at least part of that this past weekend, uh, found some okay stuff, nothing that blew my socks off necessarily. Um, but did, uh, did put up a camera and we'll see what that has to, has to hold. Uh, there are two more spots that I need to make my way to. I'm not in a big hurry. I've yet to do a camera pool or a camera check at this point. Um, so I may do that on Friday, um, july 5th i think because i'm off the 4th and the 5th before we leave for vacation i might slide into the first cameras that i had hung uh which was you know right at the end of may beginning of beginning of june um i typically like to let them soak till like roughly august because you know there's no um benefit to checking them now versus checking them in another month because you know all the deer that are on there now will be there later um but a couple of these pieces are new to me and I don't want to let them sit and soak for too long, not knowing if I have the cameras placed in the right place, you know, or in the right area to to catch the deer that I want to see. So I feel like when the pieces that I'm not familiar with, that this is the first year I'm kind of, uh, you know, working with these pieces, I feel like I need a little bit more early Intel that way. I don't waste an entire summer of gathering inventory of a bunch of does. um, If I have the camera placed in the wrong spot, just from an inventory perspective. So, I'm going to probably do a camera pool on Friday and check I think eh, there'll be three or four cameras probably that I'll that I'll check that all be in a kind of close proximity to one another and uh and get that done. So looking forward to seeing what we have on on camera there. I do of course still need to get a camera out in the swamp which the that's kind of a known commodity. So I'm not too um you know chomping at the bit necessarily to to get that one in there cuz I know what's in there. I'm really just going to hang a cam to see if the big deer that was in there last year made it through, um, had a, had a uh, I guess a cam picture of him late last year. So he made it through gun season. So as long as he didn't get hit by a car or something of that nature or the, uh, or the wilderness take him, uh, then he should still be around. So, uh, looking forward to hanging, hanging that one. Hopefully I don't get into the poison ivy like I did last year, or the poison sumac like I did last year. Cause that was, that was pretty miserable. Uh, so we'll try to avoid that at all costs uh, this year. Uh, with uh, being on vacation, I should still be able to put out a podcast next week. I'm going to try to get one edited in advance, in advance that I had recorded previously. Um, that way, there's no gap in uh, in podcasts for you guys. If you're doing some traveling over the holiday weekends or the holiday week, um, hopefully, I'll have some content out there for you to get you through. Through your drive, but with that, we're not going to belabor this upfront much more. Um, so, this is a, a an additional podcast that my buddy Bo Martonic from East Meets West uh, podcast did together uh, while we were at Muster in the Mountains. We had a chance, of course, the last podcast to sit down and talk with Lantani for a little while. Uh, in this one, uh, we spoke with Brian Burhans. He's the executive uh, director of the Pennsylvania Game Commission. And, uh, you know, Bo and I decided to tag team this one as well. Um, you know, Brian has a you know, experience across a multitude of states in his uh, biology, um, you know, history, I guess you could say, or in, in his in his career. So he has the advantage of kind of being able to see things from many perspectives and how state, different states manage their, their, their wildlife, how they approach their different rules and regulations. Um, and we talk a, a fair amount about that, but what we also talk about is just the um, – you know, some of the cultural differences that we have in the in the hunting community, uh, not just within our own here in Pennsylvania, but how they look in different states and how Pennsylvania stacks up to them in terms of what the similarities are and what some of the differences are. And if you've been paying attention to, you know, social media or the outdoor news at all, you, you know, in your, if you're from PA, it might not be as uh, important to those of you that aren't from PA, but Pennsylvania is uh, has been kind of working toward the opportunity to have Sunday hunting and recently it passed the senate uh but it was passed it passed the senate senate uh, in an amended form and we talk a little bit about that with Brian as the at the point that we were or during the time that we were having this conversation with Brian it had yet to make it through the senate they felt like there was a good opportunity to so this is you know podcast is just about a week and a half uh, old behind the behind the news that just came out this past week uh, but what we had anticipated and you'll hear it on the podcast is that we had heard that it was likely going to be amended to be three specific Sundays. Uh it was going to be the negotiation during the course of the hunting season that we would have the opportunity to hunt. Now it still has to make it through its final, uh, final approval. If I'm not mistaken, uh, which I believe it goes to the house next, if I'm not mistaken, if, it, if that, if memory serves, um, so it's not necessarily a locked deal yet. Um, you know, there's a few more hurdles to kind of overcome, but hopefully in negotiating down to three Sundays for hunting, you know, that we'll be able to get it through and then prove that Sunday hunting doesn't, um doesn't, is not going to have the impact or negative impact. The, those who oppose it uh, think that it might. Um, so that's the, that's the goal with that. So we talked about that a little bit. The other interesting thing was I actually had a chance to meet uh, a representative, uh, while I was at Muster in the Mountains, that represents the area uh, around Morris, Pennsylvania, where, where the event was at. And we were talking a little bit just about what the holdup was for the bill just in general um, and what a large holdup is. And it makes and it makes sense. I mean, there's an argument to be had there. I, I struggle with the validity of it a little bit. Um, but the big hang up in, in a lot of cases are some of the constituents for some of these representatives who are charged with either you know passing or not passing a given law. Is that, you know, in some of these areas, you know, they do a lot with trespassing. And, you know, people, if you look at, you know, posted signs or whatever, a lot of, you know, private land in Pennsylvania is posted, of course. The challenge is, you know, what some of folks think, you know, or assume is that, you know, they have to spend time during the week, you know, farmers or whatever, running people off their land during hunting season, you know, Monday through Saturday, essentially, um, and what they would like to not have to do is run them off their land on 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 Sundays. Now, my opinion is is that if someone wants to trespass, whether it's a Saturday or a Sunday or whatever the case might be, they're going they're going to do it. And that same person, if they're willing to trespass, probably is also willing to not necessarily obey the the laws of hunting, hunting Monday through Sunday. You probably just don't recognize that they're trespassing because you're not out <laughs> looking for it. Potentially, that's just my kind of hypothesis, but it's a valid concern. And one of the things they've been kind of fighting for, I shouldn't say it's a valid concern. It, it's a concern, the validity of it, it remains to be seen. Um, but what they're looking for in adopting Sunday hunting, you know, if we were to adopt it whole scale or wholesale is that they want more stringent. Um, and when I say they, you know, private landowners in these different precincts or in these different jurisdictions would like to have more stringent and enforceable trespassing laws. Because as of right now, the way it really works is that, you know, Perpetrator A trespasses on landowner A's property, and they then, you know, make a phone call, and that phone call goes, is then dispatched to the state police to deal with it, because right now it's under the state police guidance or jurisdiction, and the truth be told, state police, you know, going to call it what it is, have bigger fish to fry than, you know, coming over and talking to, you know, Joe, Joe the Hunter about trespassing on, you know, landowner A's property, Um, and so it's just not a priority for them. Um, and also these things become a resourcing issue. You know, do you have enough state troopers on duty? Is there someone nearby that can take the, take the call? Do they have more pressing priorities to to take care of? So really it just kind of gets shuffled away and nothing really ever gets done about it. And the landowners are kind of like, Hey, if we have a law that makes, you know, it more punishable to where people feel the pinch, if they do trespass, then, then maybe we'd be interested and be willing to kind of, you know, allow or not be a voice of dissent for, for Sunday hunting. But right now, that's not the case. So one opportunity is to explore putting it in the hands of the of the game commission and the game wardens. Uh, but the challenge there is is that they're already kind of stretched thin. They already cover huge territories because they're um, understaffed, under-resourced. Um, and so if you now charge a game commission with all the other things that they are, the game wardens to manage all the things they currently manage, and then you're going to la- layer this one piece on top of it, which is you know uh, an ambiguous thing to try to manage uh right it's 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 hard to kind of it's hard to charge someone for trespassing you have to kind of catch them in the act and then it becomes a he said she said because you saw it but the game commission got called in and they weren't there it, so it's it's really just a, a challenging you know piece of legal <laughs> a legal matter to to have jurisdiction over but then not just that but to in, in, enforce it and it takes time and everything that takes time takes resources and money, which are always, you know, not necessarily always available at the uh, levels that we would like them to be. And so that really is kind of the uh, the challenge, if you will, in getting Sunday hunting past full full scale. Um, and that was the conversation that I had with one of the representatives uh, that was visiting the uh, Muster in the Mountains event. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and uh, shut this thing down and get us into the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. A lot of cool information. Really liked having Brian on. And it was also super rad to do two of these podcasts with my buddy, Bo Martonix. So without further ado, let's talk to Brian. All right, folks. Welcome back to another episode of this podcast, which is co-branded with my good buddy, Bo Martonic of uh, East, Me- East Meets, <laughs> words in English are good, East Meets West podcast. And of course, Clint here from the Truth From The Stand podcast.
3: Yeah. So uh, Clint, this is good to be on another episode here with you, kind of going through and co-hosting it and, and super excited to have Brian on here today yeah. to to talk a little bit. I'm yeah. Super excited to talk about our home state of Pennsylvania.
2: That's right. That's right. We had Landon a little earlier, talked a little bit probably more nationally. We drilled down into PA just a little bit. But uh, our guest today is Brian Burhans of the Pennsylvania Game Commission, which I've wanted to have someone on from the PA Game Commission for quite some time, considering that I'm from Pennsylvania, grew up hunting Pennsylvania, and that's kind of was my, you know, uh, of course, with our heavy tradition of hunting or whatever, i am always wanted to have someone's perspective from from the state level. So appreciate you coming on. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You bet, man. So I think first, before we dive into some of the juicier topics, there's been a lot going on in Pennsylvania with the laws and um, some adaptations of, of laws and so forth. Um, so before we kind of jump into all that, if you wouldn't mind, just give us a sense of you know your background, the role you have with the PA Game Commission and kind of how you got to that point.
4: Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm the executive director for the agency. And, you know, as I was growing up as a kid, I'm from Pennsylvania. Uh, I always wanted to work for the Pennsylvania Game Commission, and uh, I came up through the ranks. of am trained as a wildlife biologist, uh, and uh, in my career, I've worked in a number of states as a biologist in Florida and Virginia. Then I moved into nonprofit work with two conservation organizations. I was with the National Wild Turkey Federation in South Carolina for about 12 years, and then uh, took over as a CEO for the American Chestnut Foundation, which is an organization restoring, developing blight-resistant trees to restore to, to uh, the eastern United States. So. And then I had the opportunity to come back here to Pennsylvania. So it took me a while, but I finally found my way back in and I got a chance to work with the most amazing state wildlife agency in the country.
3: Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. That's awesome that you got to have that, that perspective that's, you know, outside just Pennsylvania, too, to kind of see how each, you know, state runs things and I'm sure helps with. With your current role,
4: absolutely. You know, you you would think that every state's different, and every state is different, but every state's the same too. Um, but people are people. And, yeah, <laughs> uh, right. But it, it's it's a great agency, great state. I mean, we are so blessed here in Pennsylvania to have you know over six million acres of land open to public hunting. Pennsylvania Game Commission owns and manages one point five million acres of nice. of ground that specifically managed for wildlife as the priorities uh, management technique. So. We're lucky in Pennsylvania, and having lived in many other states where it's hard to find a place to hunt, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, it's almost, like, falling off a log. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah, we got—there's we, no shortage of hunting opportunities in PA. I yeah. Think, you know, I think the misconception a lot of folks have, you know, in Pennsylvania, you'll hear people talk about there's not a lot of hunting—well, some folks will say that, right? I think those are the folks who maybe are referring to— um, you know private access maybe mm-hmm. right uh, because for me it's like I moved I grew up in what I refer to as Pennsylvania you know <laughs> which is the middle part of the state um and grew up predominantly on private land with family-owned farms and stuff like that. So I really never hunted public until I got until I got older. Now we still have those family farms, and I actually gravitate now toward the public just because of all the opportunity that's there. Moved to the eastern part of the state when I grew up in the you know central and western part of the state. Had no really understanding of the public land opportunities on the eastern part of the state, but now that's really kind of all I. All I hunt, I think I do, like, maybe three hunts a year on our family property, you know, and then 95% of the rest of the, my hunting yeah. in Pens- Pennsylvania is public yeah. lands. You know? I
4: grew up in southeastern Pennsylvania. When, when I was a kid hunting in the, you know, 70s and 80s, you just knocked on doors and you always got some place to hunt. Yeah. You know, and the place I used to walk out my back door and literally deer hunt was because I came up as a bow hunter. Uh, today, landowner won't let you on there. And a lot right. of the land has been posted. People are kept out. You know, I live in the Harrisburg area now, and for me, it's just a short drive to, you know, one of our biggest roadless areas that are state game lands, game, state game lands to 11, uh, 53,000 acres. Um, and it's just amazing the opportunities. That's just one. There's yeah. many more right around
3: there. Well, it's, it's crazy. Like, so I, I grew up in Elk County and that's where I currently live. And just in Northern PA alone, there's 2 million acres of public lands, you know, whether that's, you know, game commission managed or there's, there's state forest, or there's the uh, Allegheny national forest, you know, all that stuff. is so many opportunities and I was talking on the earlier podcast when I moved to the Pittsburgh area. I didn't realize how lucky <laughs> I was. I took it all for granted, and yeah. like that. And we have all these opportunities. And even down there, I found a bunch of places after you look. But there's there's just so much, and there's so many different seasons, and just places to be able to go. Pennsylvania is. I feel lucky to you know have grown up here and, and still live here. You know,
4: it's great because I mean I grew up like Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, even Virginia. If you were willing to write a check for twelve hundred dollars, you had a place to hunt, and you right. had a lot of people hunting on that small little chunk of land. Yeah, up here, you, you know, there are there is some leasing that goes on in the state, but with so much public land, uh, it's just it's just I mean, it's really truly God's country up right. here. Yeah. I want to
2: ask you, given you've had a, a pretty you know um, diverse background in terms of where you've lived and working in the in, in the outdoors, you know, across you know a bunch of different states, you know, knowing and we'll get to some of the policy stuff that's mm. going on in Pennsylvania now, but do you see a similarity between the hunters of those states, or are they different in terms of what they want, right? So Sunday hunting, and we'll get to that, is yeah. a big topic in PA. But I'm just curious if, like, the attitudes and maybe even the awareness of what's going on with hunting public lands, laws that are going to impact them, are they any more or less aware than the folks in PA? And kind of What's their kind of mindset?
4: Well, I think the Pennsylvania hunter is... Seems to be very aware of what's going on. I think there is definitely a cultural difference between the southeast, where you know the state has far less hunters, the seasons are far more liberal. Um, so the culture in Pennsylvania, you see this in Wisconsin and Michigan and Ohio to an extent as well. There's a different culture there because there's so many hunters out there competing for what is a finite resource. Yeah. Um, you know, again, as you get down to the southeast, you know, it's it's just not as many hunters, so the competition for the resource isn't as high. Um, and in Pennsylvania, you know, every state is a traditionalist. You know, we—I'm not going to pick on Pennsylvania because they're really no more traditional than any other state. Uh, but you know, there are some things like Sunday hunting, which is all the other states have been able to shake that off their back and finally unravel that and get rid of it uh, because it's such a detriment to hunting and conservation. Um, Pennsylvania, you know, it's a tough state. You know, because again, I—the competition for the limited resources that we have. And we have a lot of resources here in the state and, you know, we just didn't do it that way before. And, you know, I get communications from hunters all the time. And, you know, some of the anecdotal funniest ones are, you know, I don't want another day cause I need to rest. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you, you don't have to go out and hunt. You don't have to go out <laughs> yeah. and hunt. So. But but my buddy Bob, he's going to be out hunting and he might get my buck. So again, there's a lot of competition in the state. And oh yeah. The this, this sunny hunting thing is really, you know, I, I always tell the story, uh, when I'm up talking to people about Sunday hunting, is that I, I, I do this for Nolan. Nolan's my 25-year-old son, lives in uh, North Carolina, recently graduated from Western Carolina. And when we were growing, when he was growing up in South Carolina, we had, you know, I worked for a nonprofit, National Wild Turkey Federation. We, we worked all the time. And when you work, when volunteers work. Right. so. But Sunday after church was our time to go out and go turkey hunting, and we did that. And that's really all the time I had with him. We did a lot of turkey hunting together, but it was Sunday afternoons. Mm-hmm. We did skip church a couple of times if it was really right, hot. But, right. uh, <laughs> he, you know, to this day, my son's a diehard turkey hunter, and I don't think he'd be a hunter today if it wasn't for that opportunity we had on Sunday because he really doesn't hunt deer at all. They right. started getting into waterfowl hunting a little more, but it's because we had that Sunday. And there's so many people like me. I was early career at that time. I didn't have much time. Um, you know, I had lots of time off, but having time to take off and being able to take off time are two different things. Two different things. Two yeah, different yeah. things. So, um, you know, I'm really grateful that my son grew up in a state that allowed Sunday hunting. And I'm I'm, I'm glad I didn't raise my son here in Pennsylvania through those important years. Right. Uh, because I don't know if I would have been able to keep him in hunting. I know so many kids that come from hunting families that really never get into hunting. Right. Um, and it's unfortunate to see. Yeah. I mean,
2: I know for me growing up, it was... Yeah. Hunting was a big thing in my family. It was like, it was a birthright. When you turned 12, you were going to hunt. It was come hell or high water. That was kind (laughs) of was the approach, right? My dad worked third shift, you know, so it wasn't like he had a lot of time to take me out, but I was fortunate in the sense that we owned a bunch of land. So once I became kind of old enough, he introduced me, I could grab a shotgun and go out and turkey hunt after school in the fall or whatever I wanted to do. And it wasn't a, wasn't a big deal. I think it's super impactful for those folks who, who don't own land. And it's a, um, I don't want to say a process, but it's a it's an act to get out into the timber, right, and introduce a you know a kid to the timber or an adult for that yeah. for that matter, right? Um, you touched on something that I want to kind of circle back to, and you because and, I don't think people think about think about it in this sense. You said, you know, not having Sunday hunting is uh, is, is a detriment to conservation, right? And I think any hunter worth their salt, if you know if, if they truly care about not just the tradition but what it means for you know access to public lands and what it means for you know making sure things are properly funded so you have the type of hunting that you want to have and all those things like how like, I don't think they see the connection between the two sometimes right yeah. um, so I guess just give me some examples of what you mean by you know su- not having Sunday hunting is a detriment yeah. to conservation
4: it lessens our ability it's one more hurdle we have to cross to be able to introduce and keep people into hunting, trapping, angling. You know, when you look at how conservation was set up in North America, you know, look at Teddy Roosevelt and all these heroes we have of conservation. It was the hunters that actually made that happen. It's not only the license dollars that the hunters provide that supports a big bulk of conservation in in the whole continent or in North America, but more important than that, it's the passion. Mm-hmm. The hunters have always been—it's their passion that has driven their actions to make conservation succeed. It isn't just writing a check. Writing mm-hmm. a check isn't going to get you anywhere if nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Hunters care. They care about the resource. They care about conservation. Yeah. It's that passion that has driven conservation uh, in this country and made it what it is today. I mean, we have— we talk about this North American model of wildlife conservation and has several tenets about it. And simply being that, you know, the wildlife belong to the people. The states manage it. We're entrusted to manage it for the people. And we make this available to everybody. You know, you can't own wildlife, and just because you can write a big check, you're the only one that gets to hunt that deer or that elk or that turkey. You know, the wildlife are out for all of us to enjoy, and we need to make sure that we save that heritage for the long term, yeah, I couldn't,
2: I couldn't agree more. And we, we touched on that a little bit with land when we were talking to him because it was yeah. more about that passion. And, and I think he put it poetically whenever he was giving his, you know, kind of opening ceremony speech here. That it's about those one-on-one conversations and it's about the communication. And you don't get that if there's not passion, no, right. And it, you can't, you can't replace that with a check. Yeah, you no. can't replace that with. You know, you know, a land donation as much as we like land donations, right, for for things, whether it's public land donation or like someone, you know, like we have here, someone offering up their farm for an event that's important. Um, But you can't replace that passion and that one on one conversation it's had it comes down to people yeah
3: yeah it it does i mean and to go back a little bit to what you were saying about you know like with taking your son out you only only had sundays i think of it specifically i have a younger cousin of mine He's he's in probably in high school now or middle school somewhere in there but we come from a really strong hunting family but he's in school five days a week and then he has football games on saturdays so yeah. he looks and then he, he can't get out, you know, until the seasons. Maybe he'll get out a couple of days a year at most, you know, and and he likes it and wants to do it. But it doesn't have those opportunities. And who knows if maybe that, you know, liking it will just turn into I don't really care about it anymore. Yeah, it, and there's, you know, one more person that we lost in the next generation that's going to be. That's, you know, what we're looking for. We need that next generation to keep going up, you know?
4: what other recreational activity has a day you can't do it? Yeah. I mean, think about it. If you were a golfer and you couldn't hunt on, or if you couldn't golf on Saturdays, how long would golf courses stay in place? If you were a skier and you could only ski, you couldn't ski on Sunday, how many ski places would close down? hunting is the same thing yeah and, you know so it's you know it's not only that is it's about private l- property landowner rights as well you know right you pay the taxes on that land you manage that land you may farm that land or raise timber on that land but whatever it is it's your land and then somebody's coming in telling
2: you, you can't do a recreational activity on a certain day right it, it defies all common sense it's what blows my mind a little bit right is that you know demographically speaking right our, our hunting group is if you were to Create a bell curve or some type of chart, we would all probably lean more on the on the right side of the political spectrum, mm-hmm. right to a degree. Um, in that sphere, like we're more interested in less regulation. Let me kind of manage my own destiny, right? The left side is more about oversight, regulation, and big and big brothering to a degree. And I'm not making, I'm not going to get political here because I'm not making the argument that one's better than the other. But like, if you just look at it on the surface, those are type. Two kind of principles of each mm-hmm. side, right? And it kind of blows my mind that we don't like regulation on the on the right whenever, whenever it's related to, to business or almost anything else. But when it comes to hunting, we but want the regulation. Yeah. You know what I mean? And to me, that's the part for me that, I, that I'm kind of— I don't want to use the word hypocrite because that, that's a strong word. But it's like, you, it just
4: doesn't make sense. No, and you look at one of the big arguments you'll hear from some say, so Well, we want that day we our family can be out and we can feel safe. Now let's not yeah. let's not uh, lessen their concern about safety. Right. Everyone uh, has a voice. Everybody yeah. has a voice, and they have a real concern. Yeah. valid Whether concern. or not it's valid and, and reflected in what actually is occurring out there yeah. is is different. So I'm not going to in any way belittle individuals that feel maybe insecure or not safe out there. But let's look at some facts and some realities. For example, I hear this from some of the hiking groups all the time. And I'm a backpacker. Mm -hmm. I like to get out there and hike the Appalachian Trail um, through Pennsylvania. And when I'm doing it, most of the time it is on a Saturday during archery season, uh, even during muzzleloader season. Um, I'll be out during the hunting season hiking. Do I worry? Absolutely not. Now, I also know the statistics behind hunting incidents. And hunting, I'm far more in any danger of, of going to the trailhead. Right. Than yeah. I am being in a hunting incident. In fact, we just got through spring turkey season where nobody even I wears fluorescent orange, and we didn't have one single incident. So, the argument about hunting being dangerous is completely a fallacy. It's it's not yeah. true at all. Now, folks with a concern about feeling safe, that's a real thing to them. Right, because so that's like, a feeling. That's yeah. a feeling with them. Yeah. Um, but the reality of it is, you know. Look at archery season in October. They're in camouflage up a tree. Nobody even knows they're there. Yeah. Um, I don't you know. know how
2: many times on public land I've watched a guy because I hunt some walk right s- suburban you. areas, yeah. right where a guy comes walking his dog, and I'm 20 feet up watching him walk his dog, like you yeah get my binos on him, check him out, try to see what kind of dog he's got. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? It's like, <laughs> if you guy's none the wiser that I'm that I'm there. Yeah. You know, so I'm didn't mean to interrupt. But no, but... you know, and I think what, one of the
4: things that frustrates some of our hunters, you look at our Pennsylvania game lands uh, that the agency has acquired. Um, You know, the funding from that has come from a lot of places, actually. Some great partners have helped us fund that. Uh, Pittman-Robertson, which from the Pittman-Robertson Act has helped fund, so that's shooters and hunters Mm -hmm. that are help funding that. We get land donations, and we have so many great nonprofits here in Pennsylvania that help us uh, acquire these lands, but hunters still have a lot of skin in that game. And they're being told, well, that day a week, you can't even go on game lands. Right. So, you know, that, that that's why they're so frustrated with this. And, yeah. again, crippling. We're, we're Nationally, we're seeing a, a decline in hunter numbers. Um, and I think Sunday hunting is just one more nail in the coffin that
2: doesn't have to be there. Right. So we've been kind of dancing around the, the, the Sunday hunting topic. So let's just kind of jump right in. So, you know, I've done some reading on it and so forth, and I've always kind of been aware of the blue laws growing up mm-hmm. because, you know, it also <laughs> – Maybe as a youth, it was more impactful because, you know, you couldn't get a six-pack on Sundays or whatever, right? That might be how some people are introduced to it. You can't sell cars on Sundays, right? There's a lot of different blue laws. So can you give us, like, a little bit of a historical context of, like, where the blue law kind of came from? Yeah. How hunting what came about to not be, you know what I mean, yeah. uh, in, in, historically speaking?
4: If you look at, especially in the in Pennsylvania um, with, with the— uh, Christian religious atmosphere was strong, strong here in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, basically, and if you do the research on the blue laws, whether they are put in place, it's it's quite apparent. I mean, it's stated their job was to keep your butt in a pew at church on Sunday. Yeah. That was the job of the blue laws was to keep you in church and not doing something else. Um, and I get that, but you know, that should be up to an individual of when they're going to do their worship and when they do their worship and and how they consider. Uh, hunting as whether it's work or recreation or whatever their beliefs are. That's mm-hmm. that's something that's personal, something yeah. Yeah. that makes at least to me no sense that it's mandated by law to keep my butt in church. Right. Um, you know, whether you go to church or you don't go to church, having Sunday hunting or not having Sunday hunting is not going to keep you in church or keep you out of church. Well, anyway. Yeah, Not you know? just
2: that, but it's like, I know plenty of folks, you know, who, you know, my good buddy, actually, he's a, um, he's a youth pastor, right? Mm-hmm. Heavily involved in the church. And, he probably would not Sunday hunt as much, and he's stated as, as much just because, like, he has, his job is to be in church, right, like, to, to work. But, like, I know for a fact, like, for him, it's, like, part of his spirituality comes from being in the timber, right? And mm-hmm. so to tell someone that they can't worship in a place because it doesn't fit the the model that you think worship should take place in seems a little antiquated you, you know I mean? think about it hunting creates a lot of opportunity
4: for us to contemplate yeah. yes it does 100
2: <laughs> we were talking about that earlier like, i i talked about this almost time i talk to honey or talk hunting with somebody is like that's my place to unravel my mind you know so, what i mean and get a perspective mm-hmm. on not just you know where i fit into things right not to get all you know hippy dippy here a little crunchy but you know to think about you know you know, what, what am I doing? Like, where's my, what's my place? You know, am I doing the things the right way that I think that I should be doing them? Like all those things. I mean, it's, it's amazing what you come away with when you have nothing but time on your hands, right? always hope a deer comes by and interrupts it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but
3: that'd be nice. Yeah. yeah. I try not to get too far into it that I don't, <laughs> don't uh, miss the deer walking by. Right. But... Well, <laughs> right.
4: hunting means, you know, a lot of yeah. things to different people, but I'm with you. I mean, part of what hunting provides me is kind of that charge down, that, that kind of release of, you know, you're forced not to do anything yeah I mean, where else do you go when you're when you're in your job or at the office or wherever you work i mean it's constant go 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 you can't you can't slack for a second you know as human beings you cannot keep that pace forever and for me hunting provides that opportunity you know i'm a big turkey hunter especially in the spring which provides me more napping opportunities my secret to turkey right. hunting so you know to me you know, I don't get to hunt that much because of my career path, but, you know, the time I do get out there is so very precious to me. And yeah. and for, to be told that, well, that day's off limits to you, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's, to me, it's crushing because right. yeah. I love to hunt. It's not like I can't, I can't have solitude on a Sunday anyway.
1: Right. But I love to hunt. That's what yeah. I
4: love to do. I was born a hunter. I've always been a hunter my whole life, and I'm going to continue to hunt.
0: Right. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal develop high quality, technically sound products, and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping, midwayusa.com.
2: Yeah, I think one of the challenging things, you know, another aspect of it is it just kind of came to me is that you know more and more people are moving away from rural settings because of job opportunities or lack thereof in, in more rural settings right and i'm a prime example of this because i grew up in rural pa i would love nothing more than to live in rural pa and have be able to hunt out my back door right but for what i do for a living that's just not just not possible um and then you know not similarly but you know to build on to that you know my dad lives in north carolina right and it's hard for he and i to get to, together to share a hunt based on our work schedules and stuff like that and when he has time to travel all the way up from North Carolina to Pennsylvania to hunt and a lot of times we'll miss a hunting opportunity because you know he has maybe something he has to do Friday late he can't get out till whatever time he's going to drive up get there late Friday night have to wake up early Saturday morning and then turn right, right back around and go home and the extra day of hunting that Sunday is probably a day that he would probably come up because he would get two days in to hunt versus one day that most of it's going to be travel, you know, and we're going to get to see each other for two hours, an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening, when we get back from from hunting, and then he's got to get out of there. Yeah. And there's no opportunity for the next day.
4: I'm saying, but when I lived out of state, I probably came up and, I mean, let's look at it. Out of state non resident hunting license is only $100. Yep. Probably the cheapest non resident license I'm aware of. But I only came up during my, I don't know, 18, 20 years living in the Southeast twice that I can recall. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I'm only going to be able to hunt one day. You know, my yeah. son now lives in North Carolina. I've got better turkey hunting up here in Pennsylvania than they do in North Carolina. But I'm going to go probably hunt with him in North Carolina. Why? Because he, he's he's a young professional. He's in a new job. He doesn't have this time off. So we'll be able to hunt Saturday and Sunday together. So for me to make a 10-hour trip down there
2: and then a Max 10-hour trip
4: it, back, yeah. I want to make sure I can spend some time with him yeah. doing something we enjoy to do. But to come up here and do it for... You know, especially early season, all I got is till noon. So he comes up, he hunts for eight hours, and we're done. Right yeah. Now, one I mean, more time than that. I
3: and mean, that was exactly what I was going to say next about the non-resident thing. So I have a bunch of buddies from different states and everything, and I'll go, say I go to Ohio to hunt. I'll go for a long weekend. I'll drive out Friday night, camp, hunt Saturday, Sunday, drive back Sunday night. And they won't buy a tag here because they're like, oh, we only get one day to do that. And they, I've had, you know, just in my small circle of people that I know, be like, I'd buy you know, hunting license in Pennsylvania, non-resident license, if I could hunt Sundays, because it's not that it's the lack of opportunity or the hunting that they're not buying them, it's just the lack of time. Right, because I think you know? I
2: think that was maybe true whenever I was growing up as far as, like, the caliber or the quality of the hunt. You know, if if it's, if it's you know, whether it's antler size, and I'm talking deer specifically here, of course, you know, whether it's, you know, bone on the, on the head or just age structure, like right? I know growing up, like, there were some struggles, especially in the area that I, you know, grew up in. But now, you know, I don't ever remember growing up seeing the caliber of deer that I see that I see now and more and more consistently. So there are definitely pockets in PA where it's like if you're a hunter from Maryland or even Ohio that you can get on some really, really good deer and it's and and based on the cost of a non resident license, especially if you tag out in Ohio and you live near Pittsburgh, there's no reason why you couldn't or shouldn't hunt Western PA because Western PA has some great deer, mm-hmm. you know. And You know, I just think about the amount, the additional amount of dollars we could pull in, you know, to help our public lands or whatever, however it's spent, if we could attract some of those non resident hunters to get them to spend that hundred bucks or whatever it is on that tag to extend their hunting season. Yeah, we're sending them out
4: of state right now. I don't know how many friends I work with or know that either have gotten into a lease or bought land in New York or Ohio uh, because they can go up there and they can hunt that that Saturday, Sunday. I know I'm going to be buying a, a New York. Uh, out-of-state license because i have a turkey dog and i got a lot invested in this dog i want to get out and use them yep i gotta work monday through friday like the rest of the world yeah um so we're gonna head you know head up to uh new york Uh, we may hit pennsylvania for maybe a day but i'm definitely going to new york because i can hunt that sunday
2: right and i do the same thing i buy I, i go to ohio every year and that's usually like when i i get out a lot during the course of the early season but i mean once late october hits it's like i usually have a a two-week trip to ohio to to hunt basically from the beginning of november to to mid-november to almost thanksgiving you know what i mean because i can hunt you know all week and i don't have i can watch the weather and pick which days i'm gonna hunt. Cause I don't have to worry about man i can't hunt sunday so it's like if the weather's like iffy on saturday I'm, it's like i probably needed to risk it and take a chance you know because i'm not going to get to hunt sunday and then i'm back to work monday you know so i want to ask you you know of course we're in the throes of us making when I say us you know the hunt, the hunting population that supports you know Sunday hunting, we're probably in the best place that we've ever been in terms of pushing that agenda forward to hopefully opening the opportunity. Oh, it's
4: never I don't think it's ever been this far yeah
2: um, you know so can so the original proposal that it, that it went through earlier this year, it went through as like Sunday hunting wholesale, like one, one Sunday hunting, and it, and it passed. I think then it went to the Senate, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. It well, started in the Senate, in the, the Senate, probes. went yeah. to the yeah. yeah. And so what has happened now is that they're they're entertaining it still, but we made some accommodations, which always happens when you go through any type of policy, you know, updates and, and trying to massage some laws, right? Um, you know, so it came out slightly changed. Can you talk a little bit about? How it was proposed and what some of the changes are and why we would make sure. some of those changes.
4: And, and how it was proposed is very simple. Uh, you know, the Pennsylvania Game Commission. You know, we're an independent wildlife, state wildlife agency. Our job is, legislature says, you are responsible for managing the state's wildlife habitat. The Sunday hunting, being an old blue law, has always been on the books, though. Well, you can manage it, but you just can't do it on that day. You know, and right. we're we're required by law. Manage wildlife with the primary means of hunting and trapping. Mm-hmm. So those are our tools that are given at our disposal and uh, to, to manage these wildlife populations. So it's always been on the books that you know you can't touch Sunday, but you do the best you can with everything else. And the agency's done a wonderful job uh, for 125 years. So mm-hmm. done a great job. The bill pr- original proposal was basically to say, okay, you have now the Pennsylvania Game Commission. You now have the authority to determine where Sunday hunting would occur, which Sundays you would pick for Sunday hunting. You know, we have the subject matter experts. We have the biologists that research the populations. Uh, We have the data that can show what they can support and what they can't support and adjust seasons and bag limits and all those things. Um, So we have, that's, that's, that's our wheelhouse. That's, that's what we do. So the bill originally was to say, okay, we're going to finally fix this and say, you know, that's, that's your now responsibility to determine where to put these Sundays. Now we have a very specific process we have to follow as an agency Uh, before we implement these seasons of bags or any regulations we do. We have a process where we have two commission meetings. There's public comment. There's written comments. There's a whole process that takes months and months and months to go through. It's not that we can say, okay, we want those. No, we have to go through the process and work through the process. We listen to landowners. We listen to the hunters, the bow hunters, the rifle hunters. You know, they all have their voice. And then uh, our eight-member board of commissioners, who are nominated by the governor, they're confirmed by the Senate. But they're the board, so it's different. It's kind of the way wildlife agencies were originally structured, which is the best model for wildlife management, which is these independent agencies. Because then the board can listen to this public input, listen to the scientists, put all this together, and then try to make the best decision they can uh, for the resource and for the hunters and for the people. So that's what the original bill was to give that authority back to the game or give it to the game commission to go through that regulatory process and make that decision. But Wildlife policy is like a sausage grinder. What goes in isn't always what it comes out. So I think, you know, my best guess, my interpretation of what has come out is this is what we think we can do now. You know, and and it is about negotiation. And and sometimes it's a step at a time incremental towards where you want to go.
2: Right. Yeah. And what I had most recently read, you know, was that they're looking at now moving it forward still, but looking at an opportunity to choose three days during one of the hunting seasons during the breadth of the hunting season in PA and kind of choosing where they want to slot in each one of those three days during the course, course of the year, um, which I'm always kind of over the mind, like you said, like everything's a negotiation, right? And I know some folks are up in arms about, you know, we shouldn't have to negotiate something like this because it's, it just seems stupid that we don't already have well, it. it should be it, based right? on the science, the right.
4: wildlife science would dictate where this is done. Right, right. But- Let's not ignore the social and political part of it because it's equally it, as important. It's yeah, it
2: as much as you know. We want to call it dirty baseball or whatever. Like it's a, it's it's a something that you have to that exists and you got to work around or, or work with. And so I've always kind of been of the mind like, yes, I would like to see it pass through fully and have Sunday hunting across the board like any other state. As you mentioned, you're like you're looking at the data. And we have plenty of analogs across the country, you know, from Western states to states that are closer to home that probably look more like, like us economically and demographically, you know, whether it's, you know, Ohio, West Virginia, New York, whatever, just pick one, right? Um, and we have a good analog that we could kind of look and see, like, and predict what the outcomes are going to be. Um, but at the same time, I always kind of have the mind of, like, if we need to prove it, I have no doubt that we can. And so if you want to just give us three days... Then give us the three days and we will then prove to you that some of your cons- concerns, while they might be valid because it's your perspective or your perception, right, but we'll, we'll kind of deteriorate that perspective, giving us the opportunity to prove you wrong. Yeah. And I yeah. think you know? that's,
4: that's the right approach. Um, yeah.
2: And, you know, and again, you know,
4: we've got a wonderful legislature in the state of Pennsylvania that, you know, you can't just say well it's the legislature doing this mm-hmm. this they're they're really a byproduct of the people they're listening yeah. to their constituents so it's not that we have crooked politics in Pennsylvania or anything like that or that this group is bad and this group is good It's just this is the way the system works, and it doesn't work very fast. And, you know, you look at Washington, D.C. Thank goodness we have gridlock in Washington, (laughs) D.C. Can you imagine if everything ran (laughs) at at a moment's glance? We'd all be in trouble. So, you know, government does work. It is slow, but it's slow for a reason, and it it works better that way when it's like this. So this whole process, although it frustrates us as hunters, it's still not a bad process or process. And you know, uh, the members of the legislature, they're making tough decisions that impact them and their constituents. Mm-hmm. So they really have to pay attention to that, uh, respect what they do and what they bring to this process. But at the end of the day, I'm a believer that eventually here in Pennsylvania, we'll eventually yeah. have Sunday hunting. Right. Well,
3: it's, it's like, so if you think about it, I do this at work too, when I have tasks that I'm working on. Okay. Say we have a problem and the end goal is this, but getting the end goal might not be, maybe say it's money or it's time or something that you can't get 100% there but you can have something that you can put in place that's getting you like 80% of the way there just not 100 that's one step in the right direction yep. and for me I'd rather start moving that way rather than it's all or nothing you know that that right. type of thing and that's me- kind of how I look at this as far as yes I want every sunday but let's if we, if they're going to give us that little bit of a start that's good, let's keep pushing. Yeah, let's you keep know. pushing. You know, yeah.
4: again, you look at the safety record. You know, we have a hugely successful hunter-trapper safety course here in Pennsylvania. You know, started in 1960, 61, um, and it's been, you look, at, you look at the track record of safety in Pennsylvania, like other states, and it is just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a safe activity to be involved in, and, um, you know, so safety isn't the issue, and I understand somebody wants to walk, you know, but the bottom line is Pennsylvania, you know, if for private lands at least, the landowner decides who's on there. Yeah. You know, they can say, no, yeah. I don't want anybody hunting on my land. In fact, the agency has offered that. We'll provide you no Sunday hunting land signs for your land, if that's what you so. Right. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll
2: see what happens. I'm hopeful. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful too. And I think, you know, nothing was, – Rome wasn't built in a day. So we just kind of have to keep plugging away toward the end goal. But it was but, quicker than getting Sunday hunting. It was probably quicker <laughs> than getting Sunday hunting. Dude. I'm not going to argue with you there. <laughs> the uh, So I'm just curious because, you know, I think there's a lot of, and maybe it's not a myth, but, you know, I'm curious who's historically opposed Sunday hunting, right? Because, you know, there's always interests in politics, as you mentioned, whether it's your constituents, you know, whether it's, you know, private folks, whether it's business groups or whatever the case is. Everyone has an interest in, in, in different things. And so one thing I think historically, and Bo, tell me if you've heard anything different growing up in PA too. Like, I always heard that the Farm Bureau was one of the biggest oppositions to Sunday hunting on the premise that they're, you know, having the voice of the, of the farmers and Pennsylvania historically has been a big agricultural state probably until the past maybe 20 years. Mm-hmm. Right. And that they had a lot of influence because we were an agricultural state. So they ha- held a lot of the, the dollars. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious do you, is there any truth to that or where does the opposition come yeah, from? Farm
4: Bureau has been very active in this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, uh, have been obviously very influential on this decision. Um, What we've seen recently, though, is a splintering within the Farm Bureau. Uh, There's a lot of farmers that do want Sunday hunting Mm -hmm. um, because we've got deer populations that are really hurting. You you look over the last 20, 30 years especially, more and more private lands are being restricted to hunting for a number of reasons. You may have a hunt club that doesn't want to shoot any does, and they're Mm -hmm. just pounding the heck out of that poor farmer's uh, crops, and he's not able to make a living. Uh, you've got land that's just posted for no hunting at all. Mm -hmm. So the landscape has become fragmented of lands where deer management has been very difficult. Um, So a lot of these hunters are, you know, a lot of these farmers that I'm hearing from and talk to are opinion, we need as many tools in a toolbox as we can to manage this deer herd. So our families can make a living. Right. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of farmers that hunt as well um, that would like to do that. So I think you've seen a splittering. Even when you look at hunters, if you look at past surveys of hunters years and years ago, uh, hunters were really split over Sunday hunting. And now you're seeing that movement. Now it's pushed to the positive side. But it's still the younger demographic. It's really Mm -hmm. the demographic like we see here today at the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. This event today is, you know, you are that group between 25 and 40. Those are the folks that really want Sunday hunting. Right. Uh, You're more older traditional hunters. You know, some of them still aren't sold on it. Um, you know, I could come up with a bunch of theories why. Right. But, but uh, that that's what we're seeing is that change in, in demographics. Yeah.
2: So that was so that kind of confirms right. There, there's a there's a dog in the fight there. Right. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what the myth they've has, been official has been. about they, their their statement their on stains. the farm group. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So who's who's you know it, it takes. An equal and opposite reaction to move the needle, right? And so you have them in their position that they've been, you know, clear about. Yeah. So what has the equal and opposite reaction been in support of Sunday Honey? Like, where has that, where has that come from? Because it's, sure. You know, it's it as you had mentioned, it's it's a layered kind of approach, right? It's the constituents, it's business interest, it's all these things, right? So we have the constituents, we have you know the uh, the the, the populists, right? of people who want hunting, where did that business interest or that, I don't want to say money interest, because well, I don't want to make it, it over sound the line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
4: I, I think there's a couple things. One thing remember in politics, when uh, as a member of the legislature, when you hear from somebody, they're not usually calling you up and saying, man, everything's wonderful. I'm <laughs> glad the way things are going, doing a wonderful job, and by the way, I support Sunday hunting. It's typically, I'm mad, they talked about Sunday hunting, I don't want it in my backyard, I don't want to hear from it. So, on the political side, I think usually hear negative reactions not positive reactions right. and every time i talk to a member of the legislature, I said when's the last time he said it's rainbows and unicorns and things are wonderful right it just doesn't happen right it's kind of like our office too at times right. I, I think one of the game changers that happened this time was the hunter supporting sunday uh hunting mm-hmm. which is a new nonprofit group that started in pennsylvania and really started that groundswell of getting people at the grassroots engaged because that's mm-hmm. what it's been missing in pennsylvania for so long as that grassroots support mm-hmm. you know people think well i'm not going to contact my member of the legislature they don't listen they do listen they absolutely listen and they may not be able to read every letter but somebody's reading those letters and giving a briefing to that member and they're they're hearing what their constituents are saying so to, to think that we don't have as a, a voice in our local community is completely false they do listen um so you know that i think this hunter hunter supporting sunday hunting group um, really has helped shift that needle tremendously uh, in Pennsylvania with this go around.
3: Yeah, and, and they've they've taken a, a little bit of a similar stance as backcountry hunters and anglers with their approach of getting the grassroots going mm-hmm. and contacting yeah. let your legislators. Because, I mean, before BHA, I never knew that you could actually do that. I was always just like that you could call them and contact them. I remember I filled out a form, like it was almost like a general email I was going to send to my local representative, and I just put like, few of my own words in there but it was basically a copy and paste he called me you know um can't remember his last name was uh that doesn't really matter but anyways where i was living at the time he called me right away and was like hey what's you know i got got your letter what can you give me your points and i talked to him and it was really you know really cool about it and the guy was just was he listened let's put it that way you know and and that that made me feel good like okay it is possible to get your word out no matter who you are or right. you know what your concern is if you have a valid concern and have reasonings behind it you know to listen
2: well i think too like doing stuff like that it's a lot harder you know this is just a big reason why people should get involved as much as they're as much as they, they they're capable of is that it's really hard to be a jerk and i use this in in business like in the business that i work in Whenever it's a human on the other side that you're dealing with, yeah, it's really easy to discount someone when you don't have a face, you don't have a name, and and it's just a random email that came that came in, and you have no clue who the person is and how, what their feelings are. Right? I, I use that in the line of work that that I'm in. I try to humanize things because it makes it a lot easier to talk through difficult conversations. But to build on what Bo said, I wanted to ask, you know, you brought up BHA, and that was kind of where I was going to go. That grassroots kind of approach. Do you think the groundswell of events? or organizations like a BHA, or even like, you know, QDMA getting more active in terms of grassroots kinds of things. And yes, they still do the habitat management right. stuff, but they've gotten more active in terms of throwing their, I don't want to say throwing their weight around, but making it known what their position is, is on things. Do you think people seeing that, hey, I can be active, I can have a voice and we can actually get some stuff done if we just make the effort. And it's, do you think that organizations like this are having an impact outside of this organization specifically?
4: Well, I think it's it's both. I mean, there's no doubt individual if individual organizations. You know, one of the... If you look at the history of these non-governmental agencies that operate now compared to, say, 40 years ago. 40 years ago, you didn't have an NWTF Pheasants Forever, Backcountry right. Hunters and Anglers. Uh, it was in Pennsylvania. It was a Petra, F- Pennsylvania Federation of Sportsmen Clubs. And it was a very powerful organization. Now what we've seen over the years is these groups have now splintered into these really more specialized niches. Yeah. Ducks and deer. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that, but the voice has weakened because Mm. they've, they've splintered out. What hunters Supporting Sunday Hunting has done is bring everybody who, a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers or National Turkey Federation or Pheasants Forever help around a single one issue. Right. Um, And then those individuals can go back to their organizations with that same message. So I think you got to have both. And I, I think, you know, I come from the nonprofit world, and I've worked with nonprofit organizations in my professional career my whole life. And I can't overstate the importance of getting involved in a conservation organization uh, and the impact that these organizations are having because it's big. I right. mean, it's really big. And I, you know, I've been following backcountry hunters and anglers for some time because it's just been mind blowing at the growth. Yeah. And, and and what it's really excited many of us about this group is as I look around this yard is in, and at you two specifically. You represent the most difficult age demographic to get involved in keeping hunting right you know you're between 25 and 40 your early career things are hard right now and right. yet you guys are capturing those people and getting them engaged and you're talking about hunting in a lot different way yeah and more of an adventure and camaraderie and uh, the scouting and the, the work that goes into it about the place you're going and the people you meet. It's not just about sitting by your tree and waiting for a deer to walk by
2: and, and boom, it's done. 100%. It, I mean, it's, you yeah, and I, Bo and I were just talking about that earlier today that, you know, and we actually talked about it with Land a little bit. Actually, it was off, off mic. But, you know, just the, it's not about filling a tag anymore, hmm. right? Um, and just even Bo and I sitting here doing this podcast together, and co-branding it like there's so much divisiveness in the hunting community at times right that i think this newer group of of folks because it's you know guys like Bo, we have a friend kevin vistason in michigan you know, there's guys like, you know, this guy D Rock from the East Coast Bow Hunter that are all looking, and then we're not necessarily in the outdoor industry because I, I don't like to use the word industry because I feel like it bastardizes anything that's good <laughs> to a degree <laughs> when you create an industry out of it. Um, but we're all looking to collaborate and work together, share stories, share tips. It's, you know, I'd be the first one if there was a big deer that I knew about where Bo lived and say, hey, there's this big deer out here. Here's the GPS pin. Mm-hmm. You should go check it out, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Yeah, like it's just there's. Yeah, this... I don't know about that. <laughs> well, see, like, like, as age... long as I, as long as I'm not hunting there, you know. Like... See, my
4: age generation's not like that. You look yeah. at the Gen X's, up at the baby boomers. You know, you know. You ask any turkey hunter. We always say any good turkey hunter never tells the truth. Share a turkey? Nope, didn't hear a thing. Nope. You know, yeah. it, that's just the kind of way it is. But that's why I'm not claiming myself as a millennial. Right. Uh, I, I will. I want to see huh. people succeed. I want them out there in the woods, right. and I, I, you know. I I've harvested deer and turkeys. To me, it's no, it just has nothing to do. Do I want to harvest a turkey? Sure. That's the end to to an awesome book I just read and boom, I got a turkey and man, I'm charged up. But don't forget about the rest of the book. It's yeah. such a great adventure and an experience, and I want to see other people enjoying that because there's plenty of places, there's plenty of game, there's plenty of everything for everybody to enjoy it. We just need more people out there because with a national decline in hunter numbers, mm-hmm. one of the things we better watch ourselves as hunters is we become too fragmented and we start fighting with each other yeah. too much, we're going to lose it all. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I,
3: oh, I, I agree. And it's it's funny, like, that's what I grew up. My dad's like, you know, the, the way of like, we were walking out and someone's coming the other direction. All right. You, you didn't see anything you didn't you know like that's i was coach like don't tell me you saw it right ceiling nope you nope all right have <laughs> a good one good luck yeah. you know i mean there's, 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 there's a time and a place yeah you know and i'm mean? not there's, a time, there's yeah. a time and a place and i'm not sitting there i'm gonna be like oh i saw this giant 10 point in there it was right over here here's the coordinates you know I, i'm hunting there but if you want to check it out it's all of our woods i'm not gonna do that but right right well because you know, i had a buddy
2: recently that literally used to live around where i live um, and I met him through just, he used to, he was, I think he listened to the show and then we have a mutual friend and he got a hold of our mutual friend and said, Hey, I used to live out of Rome where Clint, Clint lives and he now lives in Ohio. And I don't think he's going to get back to hunting or maybe at all. He's like, I got some, I got some pins on on X that I've seen some really good deer out there that, you know, if, if you think he's okay with it, if you'd give me his number, I'll, I'd like to send him the pins and see if, see if those spots are still hot. Yeah and so my buddy called me and said hey is this cool and I was like oh uh, yeah I was like if he's got a beat on good deer and can help me get on some good deer I was like I'm all about it texting me sharing pins phone call giving me the heads up of like where his stand placements were like what it looked like what you know what crops were in around it and stuff like that so i don't know that 15 years ago that would have ever happened no. it's a generational
4: you know I mean? thing it's that millennial generation that's your wh- sharing of generation wired a little bit differently yeah um and you know I, you know i hear people picking on the millennials my son's a millennial man that's, i wish i was a millennial um you know this is in my opinion one of the greatest generations to come out uh they work hard they're very creative they value their personal time they value their families um you know when i look back the generation before me you know all the dads went to deer camp because, well, I worked all year. This is my time to go out with the guys. Yep. Your generation doesn't even think like that. Mm. My kids can't come with me. I'm not going to deer camp. It's more along usually the, that generation. So, so right. it, I'm, I'm actually excited for the future of hunting. Watching this generation that's coming through the pipeline. Yeah. I just want more of them in there because, you know, just as our senior hunters are so important to us because those are the mentors. Those are the people that are teaching other people to hunt. Our right. senior lifetime license holders are so valuable we need more of you guys when it comes your day to be in that yeah. cohort, in that place.
2: Right. And I think you know building on that and talking about how we, we talk about it a little bit differently. You were mentioning it's about the adventure, it's about the scouting, it's about the pro about the process. I think that also leads into and you know, I'd like to hear your opinion on this Bo, that I think we in doing so, we're helping ourselves kind of create a better narrative. And when I say narrative, I don't want I don't want people to think about that in terms of like a false sense or like a marketing narrative, right? We're learning to build our narrative and how we should be talking to folks who are non hunters to paint ourselves, not paint ourselves, but to position ourselves in a, in a truthful and best light. I think you're, right? you're developing a new brand
4: for hunting that has been desperately needed for so long. You know, the brand is you're just regular people out there having a good time. Yeah. You're inclusive. Um, you know, you 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 speak of conservation. It's part of who you are you are rebranding hunting for what it was in
2: past years it's a good way to put it yeah Yeah,
3: no that's you're exactly right i mean and the way i I think of it is you know you talk to a lot of people and even growing up i i kind of thought this way was oh i'll never apologize for being a hunter and i don't mean that you should but what i mean by that is make sure you're putting out in the most respectful light like you know with Mm -hmm. the age of social media and stuff we have now you know if, if if you're you know not to go down a complete rabbit hole of like, you oh, know, take us down a rabbit uh, hole, bro. <laughs> you're, you're the rabbit hole master. I know, I know, I know. But with like, you know, just untasteful photos that yeah. maybe you can say you yeah. and I were texting, yeah. send it and you wouldn't be offended by it or anything, but just being careful with it and trying to create that positive light that mm-hmm. we, that we really truly do enjoy that whole experience. Well, it's
2: honoring, it's honoring the heritage. It's honoring the yeah. process and it's honoring the animal. And, and, you yeah, know what exactly. I mean? it's like, honoring the animal
4: and the people around you.
3: Yeah, I
2: mean, we can't, you know, it's,
4: this it, it, it isn't something you you turn it. In. It's not about political correctness. It's about respect yes, for 100%. other people who may not understand your values and your heritage. But I can tell you what: if you don't respect their values and you present a deer with its tongue hanging out and bloods everywhere, you'll never you'll never get them to support honey. You got one sure.
2: chance to make a first impression. Yep, plain and simple. Absolutely, you know what I mean. And and what is what foot do you want to put forward exactly. as a group? Yep, you know. And that's kind of how I always try to try to think about it. Right. Yep. And I, I understand people say that, you know, I should be able to post it however, however I want to. Yeah, you are allowed to post it however you want to, but you're also going to endure whatever those consequences are, yep, right? Are. I've always said—I was always interested in possibly going to law school growing up, and constitutional law was, like, one of my favorite classes in, in, in college. And I loved free speech. Like, the First Amendment was, of course, one of my favorite— because it was always so misinterpreted, right? Because people assumed that free speech meant that there was no consequence for their speech. It's like, no, it's actually the opposite of that. You're free to say whatever you want and be an idiot if you would like, <laughs> but there is an equal and opposite <laughs> consequence for idi- idiocy, yeah. and you will and you'll find out what that looks like. You know what I mean? So, um, so that's kind of how I've always approached it, and I think we're seeing more and more people begin to a- approach it that way. Absolutely. Um, and I think those, you know, it's. Um, not that I want people to fit out, right? But I think people, I think there's this sense of pressure in, 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 in some groups of like being able, and I don't want to say fit in, but assimilating to how we need to act, right? I put it in the sense of like, if you go to a job that's, you know, or a new company, and I just joined a new company that's very family oriented, very tight knit, it's a small group. In the first like 30 days, like you're either going to fit in or fit out, right? It's like they, you're going to know whether or not that's going to be a place for you long term or whether you probably need to be looking for somewhere else just because they have a definitive culture that you, need to fit into right and they hire for that i think hunting's starting to become the, the same where there are more and more people every day trying to approach it and i don't want to say the right way because there's i haven't written a book on the rule of like how we should be as, as hunters but i think there's an unspoken kind of understanding moral and ethical compass that we all want our brothers and sisters to follow mm-hmm. and if you're not following that it becomes pretty apparent and and you kind of look like a jerk you know what i mean and that social pressure either makes you adapt and rethink or makes you be quiet you know what i mean to a degree and then you have the opposite which is the 10 percent who's just loud and obnoxious and yeah do and, you want to you want to do you want to create a brand that looks like the stereotype
4: that's painted unfortunately of a few right. or do you want to be what really the majority of our hunters yeah. are which are great people that love love the environment love love wildlife love mm-hmm. their families love their friends and we
2: can have differences hundred percent. We can all be different. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we don't have to all do it the same no, way, but if it all turkey comes... Turkey hunting is more fun than different. Right. No, just, <laughs> that's <just> true. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I want to jump to this next uh, this next topic because uh, if I talk anything about turkey hunting, it's a losing conversation yes. for me since I'm the world's worst <laughs> turkey hunter, admittedly, except for Boaksy. He, he knocks his front teeth out with the shotgun.
3: Yeah, uh, pretty close <laughs> to told that. Me, yeah. Told me that story last
2: night. It was a good one. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs>
3: um,
2: so I want to talk to the other big thing that kind of happened in the state as far as hunting is concerned is hunting season changes right the the dates that that are Saturday opener yeah Saturday opener for deer season you would have thought that the world possibly was coming to an end with the firestorm that happened on on social media so if you could just give us a little background about where that came from and you know how that's kind of changing yeah for
4: several decades now the Monday has always been the opener uh for our rifle deer season you know and and deer hunting is a an amazing tradition here in Pennsylvania. When I say about traditions, I mean, with Pennsylvania, I don't think there's any state that has a stronger deer hunting culture and tradition than Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the challenges that we have, uh, in hunting, we've talked about this before is, you know, keep keeping people involved in hunting and creating more opportunities. Reducing barriers is probably a, a better, better way yeah. to look at it. And when you look at the numbers, and you, I look at hunters that come through a pipeline. So you start out in Pennsylvania, maybe you start out, you're 11, you get your hunter safety. Maybe you started as a mentor, but you're 11, you come in and you get your hunter safety course. And I get a big group of potential hunters that come in, and of that big pot of young 2 be hunters, a few of them transition and actually purchase a hunting license and actually go hunting. What you end up seeing is right when they hit about those college years, it plummets yeah. and then it plummets and it stays down there for quite some time till you know, really get into the late forties and fifties. You know, why is that happening? Well, it makes perfect sense. You know, you go to college, you don't have time to hunt. The only time I haven't hunt in my life, I only did it one semester. It was such a bad semester. I actually grounded myself from hunting because I'm <laughs> such an addicted hunter. I was afraid I wouldn't get my work. done, so right. I grounded myself. It's the only time in my life I didn't buy a hunting license. Um, <laughs> and it was just for one spring. Uh, but when we look at the saturday opener we know that we need that that 25 to 35 because right now okay you're out of college you're you're just starting your career you don't have any vacation days built up or if you're not a if you're working a trade somewhere you're in, maybe in a union you don't have any seniority you don't have the time if you do get time it's not going to be a weekend I guarantee you that right so we got these early professionals that are out there and the, and they're working their careers and they got young families and all the demands that come onto them for their families and um you know we talked about changes in generations since generations very much tied to their families and and that Saturday opener was designed to provide that opportunity especially for this age this 25 to 35 40 year olds to give them more opportunity uh, to get out there and at least get out, be have a chance to get out there on first day of rifle season. Right. You know, you still have many places in Pennsylvania schools that allow that Monday. So they got the Monday, but now they've got that Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. Now, imagine if we were to get Sunday hunting in there. Yeah, Then you talk about what's happening, the decline of hunters going to the north-central part of the state. You know, we say, well, there's, there's just not as many deer. Now, there's plenty of deer in north-central Pennsylvania. I spend yep. way too much time up there. Some absolutely, fent- knock your socks off deer hunting in that part of the state. But at gas, being over $3, about $3 a gallon, am I going to go up for one day? Right. I'm not. Right. Not when I've got so much deer where I live in Harrisburg and I've accessed in right. yeah. Lebanon and all those other counties. i got tons of deer down there. But for me to go up there just for a day, spend all that money on gas just to hunt one day, you know. You know. Now, I understand the discussions around tradition because the camps they meet with another camp and they do right. those things i think that's more of a, a, a generational change too and that and i'm a hunter i you know when i'm going out i love to see my buddies that belong to the deer camp i belong mm-hmm. to a state lease camp you know traditional yep. deer camp love getting to see those guys i see them throughout the year we have meetings about quarterly we go up for work days and we do all these things um, but when I want, when I want to go up there, I want to hunt. Right. Well, I'm not going up there to drink and play cards and tell stories. I'm there because I love to hunt. And I want to be out in the woods. Yep. And in fact, what's ironic or not ironic's not the good word what's interesting to me about the saturday opener just from a personal standpoint my son as i mentioned before we turkey hunted we didn't get a chance to really do much deer hunting this year this saturday will be the first day he'll be able to ever deer hunt with me nice in his 25 years of life you know he lives in north Carolina he'll be able to come up for thanksgiving it's great probably spend friday fall turkey hunting we'll go to camp we'll go ahead and hunt on saturday and then he has time now to get back to to North Carolina because he's got a new job with no time off. Yeah,
3: no, so, oh, that's awesome.
4: So that's why it was put in place, and we're going to monitor closely. You know, this was a probably the most hotly debated, discussed. Topic I've ever seen our board members, our commissioners discuss. Uh, there was a lot of heartache. There was a lot of review. There was a lot of looking at this, and we're going to be monitoring it very close through uh, survey work. We're going to be surveying to see what impact is this actually having on deer hunting because we don't, you know, we understand the folks that say their traditions have been harmed. Some of their traditions are: I went to Ohio and I hunted Saturday and Sunday, and then I right. come to Pennsylvania on Monday, um, yeah. and I get that. And you know, I can really sympathize with the out-of-state hunters saying, you know. I get up there and I go for Thanksgiving. I don't have much time to get over there. or I, I live in Ohio and I uh, have Thanksgiving in Ohio for me to get to Pennsylvania. It's tough. You know, any change that the agency ever makes yeah. helps some people and hurts other people. So we're going to be looking at this very closely. Yeah. Uh, but our commissioners put a whole lot of time to do this, and they wanted to do it for the right reason. Um, I think it's going to be very successful. And, in fact, our first four days of license sales have been higher than I've ever seen them oh, wow. uh, in the last four days. It's, really? That's yeah, great. Yeah. I just looked at them first four days, general, just the general hunting license, which is the one i look at probably the most. Right. was yeah. up 25%. Wow. So for wow. That's hour, great. Over last yeah. year. So why it's, why is it that I, I'm not going to say it's Saturday or I'm not going to say, I don't know, but yeah. it could also just be,
2: it could also just be that we've been talking about it a lot. Yeah. Right? You know exactly. what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it's getting press, right? People yeah. are thinking about hunting again. It's kind of at the forefront of the conversation for people who have any type of hunting, hunting interest. Yeah. I
3: yeah. want, Go ahead, Bo. Uh, I was just going to say, I never used to buy my hunting license right when they first came out. Like, I always just waited right before to put the doe tags in. I'd run and hurry up and pick it up because I was running late, you know. And and this year, for some reason, I'm like, oh, there was a lot of press on it. And I got emails and game commission and everything. This is going on. And the elk changes that season, which is a whole other topic. And mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I better get my license, you know. So I bought it earlier than I normally would. Right. just. My tradition
2: is usually the 4th of July is yeah. when I go,
3: because I'm usually back home. And
2: so I usually take me and my daughter, go to the small hardware store in our hometown while we're visiting family, and we go pick up our mm-hmm. hunting license is usually like the tradition. But I wanted to say something about tradition, right? Because I think that we use that word a lot as, as hunters and as a community. Um, but I think that we sometimes get lost in what it actually what it actually means. Tradition doesn't necessarily mean that something stays the same, right? Tradition, like anything else, is meant to evolve. Or does it cover everybody? Or does it cover everybody? Traditions are individual. Right. You know, so it's like, I, I think that when we talk about tradition as hunters, like, we have to understand that. We shouldn't be so selfish as to want to hold it in in one place, right? We talk about I'm a dad, right? So people out there that don't have kids, maybe they won't be able to relate. But you know, looking at Bo <laughs> with his rut stash, that thing that thing might get you some kids, man. I'm just saying. Like. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, um, you know, it's my daughter's getting older. She's ten, right? Um, when I say older, um, but she's turning into like a little person, like a yeah. you know, it's like she's her personality is defined. Like she's got like you know things that are important to her and stuff like that. And as a dad, like, I just want to hold her so close and not let her get too far away because I don't want anything to change. I still miss the days, even though there were miserable days when she was little and I was changing her diapers and feeding her and giving her a bath and all that stuff, right? And I couldn't wait until she got old enough to do all those things herself. And everyone out there listening, I promise I'm going to make a hunting point here in a second. Um, you know, but now that she's not asking me to do those things or need those things anymore, I kind of miss it, right? And... As she's getting older and I'm getting older and thinking about these things, it's like I recognize that my job has changed. My job has changed from one of, like, constant care to to constant guidance. And I think if we look at hunting that way, that our job is not constant care and holding it in the one place. Our job really as hunters is to provide constant guidance, to always make sure that we are protecting the group as a whole, and expanding it as much as we can so everyone gets to enjoy or as many people as possible get the opportunity to enjoy the thing that things that we've enjoyed for so long as folks who've hunted since they were kids, right? And so that's kind of how I look at it. It's like, don't try to hold it in one place because you it's like trying to hold water. It'll never happen, and you'll end up ruining it for, for other people and probably for yourself at some point. But just appreciate it, watch it grow, watch it adapt, and be the change that you want to see in it.
4: Yeah. You know, because traditions are different from anybody. There's a, a camp culture in yeah. North Central Pennsylvania has a tradition of its own, very unique, and I, I am part of that culture as well. But there's individual cultures. I know people that they wait for first day of small game. They may go out and hunt pheasants. That's they get their kids, and they that's what they do. And traditions change through time, and you know, with yeah. changing your family dynamics, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my son, I couldn't wait till youth spring turkey day. I mean, that was my right. tradition that we developed. Yeah. Then he went and grew up on me. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Exactly. But I think we covered a lot of ground. We've been on here for about an hour. I want to be sensitive to your time because I know you got some some other you know responsibilities and some things priorities to take care of. I today. just have you appreciate you having me on here and yeah. yeah talking about hunting and conservation. Doesn't get any better
4: than that unless yeah. it was more turkey hunting. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. You
3: know, yeah. Truth from something else that... Uh, goes with turkey hunting for the next right, podcast yeah, that, yeah. that brian would be into you know <laughs> <laughs> all right brian well, i appreciate your time thanks hey, you so much thank you you yeah. bet
2: all right folks that is a wrap for today's show i'd like to thank brian for joining us and of course i'd like to thank my buddy bo for doing these two podcasts with me it was uh as i mentioned it was super rad to do this uh do these couple with him and always enjoy hanging out with the uh with the Rutstash king If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us with a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Be super appreciative if you'd be able to do uh, those two things for me. And before we shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Obsession Bows, Ramcap Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all
0: me proud, makes me steal. I could show you through the door, I ain't welcome anymore, a long time coming, if it
1: all,
0: it takes a special
1: knowing to call a phone, image tape,